Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, the Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh Julie. Josh, it's been a little bit. Schedules have been kind of crazy. It's mostly been my fault, to be completely honest. I mean, you know, baseball has been kind of uh, derailing most of the rest of my life when it comes to Ohio State stuff and just Land Grant Holy Land stuff in general. But we're back here on the podcast, and on top of that, we have some actual Ohio State football to talk about today. Yeah, I'm excited to be back on the pod, and and like you, baseball has also derailed my life in a completely different way. Um, I, I don't work in the field, but my Cincinnati Reds are arguably the worst team in Major League Baseball, so a, a, a different type of derailment, but I sort of feel your pain. Yeah, as, as someone who works in baseball, I can tell how good or bad a team is doing based on how many of you know their highlights I see in a given day, and to be honest, I haven't, other than Hunter Green, I haven't seen a ton of Cincinnati Reds highlights this season, so that's generally... Uh, about right. a good indication of how of how things are going down in Cincinnati. But nonetheless, there are other teams in Ohio currently doing good things, and one of those is the Ohio State football team, uh, obviously coming off their spring game this past Saturday, which, Josh, I know you, you wrote a little bit about this um, in, in kind of both directions, but I, I thought it was a lot of fun. You know, usually the spring games feel kind of blah. It does kind of feel like, a you know, just a glorified practice and whatnot, but I think there's a lot of excitement around this team, around some of the new things coming in, both player-wise and coaching staff, and so I think that this was actually, you know, as far as spring games go, as far as Ohio State spring games go, I thought this was, you know, one of the better ones, one of the more entertaining ones in recent years. For sure. You know, the words that I kept going back to were like purpose and energy. I, I feel like in recent seasons, the the spring game was lacking both of those. Um, and, you know, you look at last year's version, especially with all the returning guys, Ohio State was kind of pegged already as this playoff team. They had a ton of experience. They didn't tackle last year. So it was very much a, a walkthrough type of event. But this year with all of the new coaches and the roster turnover and, you know, holes to fill at different positions, I think there was a lot of purpose behind it. I think guys really wanted to see, I think coaches really wanted to see uh, what different guys could do. And I think that there's a whole new defense to implement. And I know that it was, vanilla in scheme on both sides of the ball, but I think there was a nice feeling out process there. And the energy definitely seemed different. I know guys have talked about it. I know Ryan Day and Jim Knowles talked about it from a coach standpoint. I know JT Tuimulau mentioned how he thinks the defense has a, a different type of energy. And I would agree with that. I think that with Kerry Combs, you were never lacking energy, but where was it directed, right? You know, what was the purpose behind it? Like I keep going back to, I think that there was intent uh, behind this game and behind kind of the, the lineups that were thrown out there and all of that. So I think it was a, a good experience. I think it was a good experiment for the coaches. And I think we saw a lot of good things out there on both sides of the ball and in really every position. It was interesting to say the least. Yeah, and like you said, very different from last year. You know, last year we came into the spring game, a little bit of a, of a quarterback battle to be going on, Some somewhat still at, at running back as well between guys like Master Teague and Travion Henderson. A lot, a lot of big, important position battles, and that isn't as much the case, at least on the offensive side of the ball this year. We kind of, you know, obviously C.J. Stroud's coming back as a starting quarterback. We know who their top wide receivers are. We know who their top running backs are and all that good stuff. There are some position battles we want on defense. I don't think we, we learned a ton about that kind of stuff with how, you know, kind of just base it was this time around, but I think that the energy is different because of, and I don't want to say it was a, a necessary loss by any means, but I think that that loss against Michigan is really fueling this team and has fueled this offseason more than anything. It obviously forced Ryan Day to make significant changes on his coaching staff. 
you know, we went a couple seasons there where, you know, the defense was obviously not up to par, but it was kind of, we were kind of letting it slide still. And I think the Michigan loss was with the final nail in the coffin there. And now having made those changes on his staff, having, you know, found some personnel changes and have, having guys in the right spots here and there. Um, I, I think that that's been a big motivating factor in this offseason. I think that's why you see a lot of the energy, especially on the defensive side of the ball, especially from this fan base. You know, they obviously, they ended off well with the Rose Bowl win, but it's not how they wanted their season to end. You, you never want to lose to Michigan. And so, I think that game, while you never want to suffer a loss, I think for Ohio State to maybe take the next step and reach the next level, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I think that that loss uh, may have been pivotal pivotal in the way things go this season if, if everything works out the way they're planning it. I agree with that because I think that had Ohio State made it into a playoff last year, and this is you know ancient history at this point, but you know, if they had gone up against a Georgia or an Alabama, I think that they would have been smoked. Honestly, I think they could have scored on either one of those teams, but the defense was just not where it needed to be. And I sort of looked at it like, and this is not entirely true, but last year, I think that there was a sense coming into the season that like their spot in the playoff was already reserved. And I don't want to say they floated through the season. That's not at all the case, but Going into the season, I think they just had a different sort of mentality. I don't know. Arrogance, maybe. That's probably too harsh. But it was like, hey, we're Ohio State. We just went to the playoff the year before. We've got all these guys coming back. Um, Let's just make sure that we button some things up. Whereas I think this year, there's sort of a mentality of we need to go out and take it. Our, Our spot is not reserved. You know, we're still considered one of the top two, three, four, five best teams. But we've got this entirely new defense, a ton of new coaches on the staff. And so we've got to go out and replicate it and get better and avenge some of those losses. I think that there was definitely some motivate, a ton of motivation that came out of both losses last year and just not earning a spot in the playoff. And so I think there's a chip on the shoulder of pretty much everyone in the program going into this year and the spring game and the spring practices, all of that's the beginning of it. But I think the spring game was like the first time to really go out there and see players in a quasi game environment, see where you're at. And now, you know, where you need to improve. Some guys may have surprised the coaches. So it's like, hey, do we want to shift this around? I I just think it was a much better and more like useful experience this time around. Yeah, definitely. And, and there was a lot of storylines and different things going into this game. Um, obviously, one of the, the biggest ones was the the tragic passing of Dwayne Haskins. They did a nice tribute for him. Uh, C.J. Stroud coming out in a Dwayne Haskins jersey, throwing a touchdown to have, awesome. have sort of a, a ceremonious last touchdown pass for Dwayne Haskins in the, in the shoe. You know, Josh and I hadn't haven't podcast since that that happened. Um, we've we've both written on the subject by now. We're both obviously very saddened by the loss, and it's a very you know it's all a very 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 tragic thing that happened to such a such a young kid with so much promise. All the you know seen all the outpouring of so much positivity uh, and ways that Dwayne Haskins has touched people's lives throughout his both his playing career on and off the field. Um, and if you really think about it, you know, a guy like. C.J. Stroud probably wouldn't be at Ohio State right now if it wasn't for someone like Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins really changed the passing game at Ohio State, changed the way that his offense runs, and without him coming in and doing what he did and airing out the ball and, do, and putting up all those record numbers he did at Ohio State, I don't think you have guys like Justin Fields or C.J. Stroud come to Columbus without you know Dwayne Haskins setting that path and, and, and blazing that trail for them to come through. So, obviously an important human being and, and very important to the Ohio State football team, so I love seeing them go out there, do a bunch of good things. They obviously had a halftime 
a uh, little tribute to him as well. So a lot of a lot of positives. They had the DH stickers on the helmets. I'm hoping they do something for him like that throughout the season as well, not just in the spring game. But good to see all those tributes out there because Dwayne Haskins was, you know, an incredibly important human, but even more so for this Ohio State football team and the way that things are continuing to go today. Dwayne Haskins really set all of this in motion with the way that he played quarterback. Yeah, you really stole the words right out of my mouth. I was going to call him a trailblazer, and that's exactly what he was in partnership with Ryan Day, right? But you think back to previous successful and, you know, um, highly thought of quarterbacks and guys who had set a bunch of records. It's it's Troy Smith, it's Braxton Miller, it's guys like that. But Dwayne Haskins was the guy who came in here and and threw for about 5,000 yards and put up all the numbers in this new Ryan Day offense that we've seen sort of evolve over the past couple of seasons. And so I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And the the tribute was was really touching. I thought it was put together very well. Uh, I think there were multiple things that they did, like you mentioned, on the field and with the, the uh, Haskins jersey by C.J. Stroud. I just I thought the whole thing was really well done. I thought the tribute at halftime was it, it was top notch. You know, it got a little dusty in my living room. I'm not going to lie. And you, you just you hear all the things that have come out since and all the, the great things that people have had to say about Dwayne Haskins, the human being, the teammate, just his energy and his selflessness. So um, I'm glad that we got to talk about it and write about it. And I hope that it's it's a. Uh, a subject or a trend throughout the season that they look for other ways to kind of tip their hat to him and acknowledge him. So the the tribute during the spring game was a really good start and uh, it was a nice touch. Yeah, and it's very fitting too that C.J. Stroud also wears the number seven like Dwayne Haskins does and is playing a similar style of quarterback to Dwayne Haskins. You know, speaking of Stroud in this game, uh, didn't play a ton after after the first quarter, but in the times we did see him, he, he still looks like C.J. Stroud out there. He looks like he's going to be still pretty good. He's going to come into the season as one of the Heisman frontrunners. I think the, the C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith, and Jigba connection is going to work quite well uh, going into year two with those two guys uh, making making plays. Um, Jackson Smith and Jigba had the early touchdown, that one where uh, – Stroud was wearing the Haskins jersey. That was uh, his only touchdown of the day. So, I mean, those two guys look good. That's that's going to be your bread and butter on offense, the C.J. Stroud to Jack Smith and Jigba connection. I think we're going to see a ton of that. Um, but on that, I mean, the quarterbacks as a whole, I think, looked pretty good. We saw both Devin Brown and Kyle McCord get some snaps in there. They both made a couple nice plays. It looks like Devin Brown's a bit more mobile than Kyle McCord is. Neither of them really looked to run. I did also want to mention that Stroud, I believe, did take a keeper on an option, which is, is worth noting, I guess. Obviously, it's a spring game. There's not a ton you could take on specific plays here and there, but I thought it was interesting to see Stroud keep a ball on an option play because we didn't see that a ton from him last year, and I know that was a, a gripe of some Ohio State fans, and while he was a very talented passer, you could open things up a lot more if you're also able to move with your feet a little bit, and we know that he is capable of doing it, so... Seeing him do that, seeing all the quarterbacks look pretty decently mobile and, and just do a good job overall, I think is very, you know, very reassuring. We know what Ryan Day does with this quarterback position. I don't think there's a ton of worry at that position this season. I think all three guys, you know, did did good things in their limited time on the field. I agree. I think we can lump the quarterbacks and the wide receivers in together, really, at least from this game. I don't think we learned a whole lot. I don't think that there were any surprises. We know who the one A's are going to be, uh, with the exception of maybe Julian Fleming. We don't know what role he's going to play. He did not participate in the spring game due to a, uh, a day-to-day injury. But, yeah, I mean, you've got C.J. Stroud. You've got JSN. Marvin Harrison Jr. also didn't play a ton. 
Um, but you think those are probably your, your one a guys. And then you've got your Bukas and Flemings and Ballard's at wide receiver. The, the offensive play calling was super vanilla. You didn't see a lot of three and four wide receiver sets. You didn't see a lot of motion. So I think that was obviously by design, but we know what we're getting with both of those groups. And from a quarterback perspective, I think Devin Brown had some good zip on the ball. I think he did some good things. I think he also looked like a true freshman at times. I think he threw the pick, if I'm not mistaken. And I think he had another ball that probably should have been a pick. Um, if I kind of went back and thought about all of them. And Kyle McCord looked comfortable. Again, it's a spring game. And we got to see him in limited action last year, but I think he's going to be a good steady backup. If anything were to happen, I think there's a ceiling for him that he has not come close to reaching yet. And so I think he'll continue to grow. And I I just sort of like him being there. If I can go off on my Kyle McCord tangent for a second, I think that he sees this opportunity as one of growth. You know, I don't know what I don't want to compare him to like Mac Jones. I don't know that he's going to sit for three years or four years. I don't know how long Mac's at, but I think that Kyle McCord is playing the long game here. He could have transferred and he still could knock on wood. Hopefully he doesn't, but he gets to play behind CJ Stroud. He gets to learn from a guy who was a Heisman finalist and could be again this year. He gets to learn from a coach like Ryan Day. And so it's not the worst thing in the world to sit for two years with the occasional bit of playing time in a blowout or due to injury, like he had the one start last year, I think he's going to continue to get comfortable. I think he's going to continue to improve. And, you know, I think he could be a potential rock star next year. We've seen these Ohio state quarterbacks, Dwayne Haskins included that have come to Ohio state and really balled out in one year and made a ton of money because of it and improved their draft stock because of it. So I think that's the game that Kyle McCord is playing. I think it's a smart game. Um, You know, again, he could have opportunity elsewhere and maybe he could go to a, a a pit or whatever. I know he's from Pennsylvania and, and get the playing time right away, but it's, it comes down to who's coaching you, what offense you playing in this, that, and the other. And I think that guys are going to see that and continue to be drawn to Ohio state, even if they have to sit for a year or two, because they're behind a stud already. So again, I just think he looked comfortable. They didn't really air it out a ton, but he was accurate. He was crisp with his passes, had a real nice seam route to uh, Joe Royer, who I know we'll talk about the tight ends later. So just a good performance from him. CJ looked like CJ. I I think he was under 70% completion percentage, but I'll throw that out the window. He knows who his guys are. He knows this offense and, and he'll be great again this year. So I think the quarterbacks and wide receivers both performed about as well as we expected. Yeah, and you'd have to think that Kyle McCord is, is in line to start next season. I'm sure there'll be a little bit of a competition between he and Brown. But, you know, as of right now, like you said, he started the Akron game when they were resting CJ's shoulder. So he has at least one game of starting experience. He, he's played in blowouts. He has more experience of the two with, with Brown just coming in this season. So you'd have to think at this point in time that McCord is in line to be the starter next year and will be the first guy off the bench in late in games if games are out of hand or if something God forbid, does happen to CJ Stroud, he'll be the first guy off the bench there. Yeah, but, Gene, actually, I was, I was yeah. going to bring this up real, real quick, too. You know, he's running with the second team, obviously. And you think about the wide receiver depth at Ohio State. He has got to be comfortable with guys like Emeka Egbuka, 
Jaden Ballard, the young guys coming in, he's going to get a lot of experience with them in practice and things like that. So I think that's another thing that will help him in the future. He might, he might not have that connection with JSN right now, but he's thrown to these other guys. I mean, he was teammates with Marvin Harrison Jr. So he's going to be well set up down the road too because of his kind of prior and current relationships with the guys in the wide receiver room. Yeah, and you know we saw that same thing with CJ Stroud and JSN before. Mm-hmm. You know those two guys took the reins. You had Justin Fields throwing to to Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and uh, and Jameson Williams. And on the Perfect side, cup. you had you know behind them, you had J- uh, CJ Stroud throwing to JSN. And now you have, like you said, uh, he and Marvin Harrison have even a better connection than those two did from the start as as former high school teammates. So yeah, it's a good point to bring up that you have this guy getting comfortable with these receivers that are going to be next in line behind a guy like Jack Smith and Jigba, who's almost certainly going to be off to the NFL after this season. So I like that comp. It's, it's something we've seen before, even just this last season. So it's certainly a good thing to have in your back pocket. But uh, you know, talking a little bit about the, the wide receivers, like you said, not a ton to say. I did want to just bring up that it's, I thought it was funny that you know you have Emeka Ibuka who has switched from number 12 to number 2. You have Kion Graves who's dying at number 17. Both former numbers of Chris Olave who started as number 17 before transitioning to number 2 later in his Ohio State career. And I just think it's funny because you know a guy like Kion Graves specifically has been compared a ton to Chris Olave. Emeka Ibuka and Chris Olave play a very similar game themselves. So it was just, it, you know, Ohio State loses all these first-round talents at wide receiver and you're looking out there like oh well it doesn't really look that much different because you have number two and number 17 out there still you still have Jack Smith and Jigba and you're you know you won't have Olave and Garrett Wilson obviously and they're two tremendous talents but it's just crazy the amount of wide receiver talent Ohio State has where you could lose two first rounders in a given year and it really doesn't look all that much different the next year maybe we should just uh petition to get that put in place where the the starting quarterback inherits number seven and one of your top receivers inherits number two. You know, uh, it seems like there's a nice lineage or a nice kind of uh, transition going on there. So it was funny that you brought that up. Emeka Egbuka, I mentioned right before the pod, with the exception of the tattoos, you could have fooled me. So I think that's how I'm going to tell them part at the beginning of the season because they do play a similar game. They've got, uh, you know, just such a varied skill set that I, I think he's going to be a really nice surprise this year. And who knows about the freshmen, but yeah, you're, you're right. The depth is insane. It's an embarrassment of riches like you and I have talked about. So I would have liked to have seen Julian Fleming in the game just to know that he's healthy. Uh, he has not played in a spring game in his three years at Ohio State. So I found that to be a bit odd. They did say it was a day-to-day thing, but they talked about his first fully healthy spring and lo and behold, he misses the the spring game. So not worried about it per se, but I still have high expectations for him. I would have just liked to have seen him on the field and in the mix. Yeah, we, we do sometimes forget that he was the number one wide receiver in his class, but he has just had such trouble staying on the field with a variety of injuries throughout his Ohio State career. So hopefully he can remain healthy this season and, and make an impact on this team in some way, shape, or form, whether that's as a starter or one of these guys that are going to rotate in. Um, they have a, a ton of wide receiver talent out there without, you know, kind of other than JSN, there isn't really two other guys that have stood out among the pack. So I'm sure a lot of those guys, at least early on, are going to be doing a bit of rotating. So hopefully he gets himself in that mix as well. But I do want to talk about you know, the wide receivers will have a ton of time to talk about, and we've talked about them a ton as as the years have gone on. But I do want to talk about the running backs because, you know, we, we know going into the season, Trayvon Williams is uh, Trayvon Henderson, sorry, is going to be the, the number one running back in that backfield. He didn't play a ton in the spring game. I think he only had like three or four carries. But 
the guys behind him did a damn good job in that spring game. And, and Mayan Williams and Evan Pryor both looked really, really good in this game. Um, I love Mayan Williams wearing the number three. He looks, looks like a, the fastest bowling ball in the world out there. He was, he was making <laughs> some nice cuts. I mean, he was breaking tackles. He was doing some, some pretty footwork in the backfield. He kind of does it all. And I, I really like his style of running. I think he's a really good player. And then Evan Pryor... Um, had the long touchdown. He looked really good as well. He made some plays in the, in the passing game as well. Uh, we saw a couple wheel routes to Ohio State's running backs, which worked out really well. I think that's another interesting wrinkle Ohio State could add to its offense when you have all this dynamic wide receiver talent that the other team is trying to game plan for, and then you throw a running back out of the backfield and add him into the passing game as well. It just opens things up even further. So I really liked what I saw from both of Ohio State's running backs. I think they have three guys in the backfield that all could be starters at pretty much anywhere in the country, and, and I'm interested to see how they deploy those guys. I think they all have their strengths and weaknesses, and I think that you know all of them, even Pryor, who redshirted last year and we didn't get to see a ton, they all bring something to the table, and they all could be used in, in pretty significant roles this season, even though Henderson is the clear number one guy in the depth chart. Yeah, I think all three are going to make an impact, and I don't want to read too much into a spring game, but I think they just... They've got different skills. I mean, they all share skills as well, but they've got you know just things that they are... They've all got things that they are good at and, and they overlap in a sense, but I feel like Mayan Williams is sort of the banger. He could be a short yardage guy. I think Evan Pryor could be used more in the passing game. He caught the one wheel route. I think it was a 32 yard gain. Nice catch down the sideline by him. And we saw Travion Henderson get banged up multiple times last year. So I think in order to keep him fresh, we will see Mayan Williams and we will see Evan Pryor. And I think that there is a spot for all of them. And I think that, they come across as an unselfish group. So I think that they will be more than okay with that dynamic. And you don't need to be a bell cow anymore to be perceived as like this high end draft pick or this guy with all this potential. It's just, it's a different time. You know, we look at a guy like Brees Hall at Iowa state and he dominated the carries for that team he's probably not going to go in the first round in the NFL draft. And he's arguably, if not definitively the best running back in the draft this year. So, and, and, and for what, right. He put his body through all of that, had all of those carries at Iowa state. He's going to go into the league with a couple more dings, a couple more bruises and some of these other guys. So I think that there's a, a way that you can involve multiple backs, have them all be successful, have them all move on to the next level and, and do things in the NFL. And I think that's what we're going to see this year, because like I said, Travion Henderson did get banged up. Mayan Williams, in my opinion, is clearly the best option as a short yardage back. And then Evan Pryor is sort of that unknown, that that new toy that they have to play with. So I think depending on matchup and kind of game flow and things like that, I, I do believe that we'll see all three of them, although I expect Travion Henderson to be another thousand yard guy and average six, seven yards of carry, something obscene like that. But at the very least, I think that they are in a good position because you think back to last year, Mayan Williams was also banged up on occasion, but he was really your only other guy that was consistently there. You know, Master Teague, another guy banged up. There's a trend there. Um, so to have three options, I think, is only going to benefit this team this season and down the road, too, because Travion Henderson will have another year after this. Evan Pryor will have another year after this, at least. And, and Mayan Williams, we'll see what his situation's like. But I, I don't want to say it's an embarrassment of riches similar to the wide receiver room. 
but I think there are a lot of unique options there and they can all be deployed in, in different ways. Yeah, Ohio State is pretty much just loaded at these these skill positions. They have options. You know, it isn't the end of the world. You don't want to see any guys go down, but it isn't the end of the world if if they lose a guy here and there. Maybe not. You know, maybe a minor injury that keeps them out of a game. They're not. You know, at, dead in the water because they're missing their top player at any specific skill position. I think they're in good hands across the board, uh, whether it be a wide receiver or a running back. And you know, even another position. That is, is sometimes considered among the skill positions. Uh, tight end, which I have been, you know, on the record as saying disband the tight end position at Ohio State. I have no interest. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I have no interest in the tight end position. But I do have to admit that the tight ends did look pretty good in the spring game. Um, Joe Royer had a really, really nice touchdown grab. G. Scott Jr. made a couple of catches. So, you know, while I'm out on the tight ends at Ohio State, they did look good. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be one of these people that says, oh, this might be the year for the tight end at Ohio State because it's never going to be and we have to stop doing that. Um, it does look like they're at least going to be serviceable in the passing game and as long as they could block I think that's more than Ohio State is asking for these days so good to see guys like Joe Royer and G Scott getting out there um, getting the reps at tight end and, and looking pretty good doing it I was wildly impressed by the tight ends you know the catch by Royer uh, yes it's happened yes it happens you know on a yearly basis a couple times a year but I, I couldn't immediately think back to an instance where an Ohio State tight end ran a seam route and high pointed a ball like that between two defenders. I mean, Jeremy Ruckert was so underutilized in my opinion. I think he could have been a record setter here at Ohio state. And I think he'll be great at the next level, but that wasn't necessarily his game. You know, maybe that's just because he was always open, but he could make those contested catches and do those athletic things. But that touchdown catch by Royer was super impressive. He had two catches in total. He was rocking the crop crop top. Looked like a real athlete out there. And so it looked like he just really transformed his body. He seemed more kind of muscular, bigger, just ready for the punishment of college football and what it'll bring. And when you talk about body makeup and things like that, I thought G. Scott Jr. looked like a tight end. And it's been a long transformation for him. I'm sure it has not been easy to go from athletic wide receiver to tight end who can block and catch the ball. And Look, we didn't see either one of those guys really be asked to block, and who knows what their level is like at this point. But they looked like capable weapons, and I think that that was a real concern of ours coming into the season is what's the tight end position going to look like. And if these guys are where we think they are, I think it's going to be a real position by committee. I think that Cade Stover is – a better linebacker than he is a tight end, not to take anything away from him, but he is like that tough physical uh, sort of presence out there. I think that he is not only a willing blocker, I think he looks forward to blocking and kind of dishing out some punishment. And that may, may be more of what he's asked to do and, you know, catch the occasional ball. Mitch Rossi is more of an H back. We saw a little bit of him. I think we know what we're getting with him. And then you've got Royer and G Scott Jr. Maybe those are your, your pass catching guys. So I really do believe that we will see three or four guys in a pretty consistent rotation at that position, because like the running backs, they've all sort of got a different skill set. And I'm nowhere near ready to say that this is a position of depth, but I do have far less concern just based on a scrimmage, but it seems like they've got three or four guys who can contribute and are capable of doing some different things out there. So 
I still have some concern, but I was surprised and excited by what I saw. And I think that those guys can really do some things out there, especially G Scott Jr. You know, he was the number 12th, the number 12 ranked wide receiver coming out of his um, recruiting class. And now you've got him over at this tight end position. The skill set is still there. The soft hands are still there. You know, maybe he's lost 1% of the athleticism because he's gotten bigger, but I'm not committed to that. He may be the same level of athlete. Ohio State has not had a guy like that. I think that they've had some converts in the past, but G. Scott Jr. is now a wide receiver in a tight end body, and I'm not ready to say that he's Kyle Pitts or anything like that, but he could be something else entirely from what we're kind of like used to seeing. Yeah, he looked good out there. I mean, Ohio State's offense as a whole looked pretty good. Uh, you don't want your offense to come out there and put up like 60 points because then you're you're pretty concerned about your defense. So it's kind of hard to to judge in that regard how good the offense is because you don't want them to come out there and blow out your defense. But I think they did you know enough to look good. I don't think we were worried about Ohio State's offense coming into the spring game. I don't think there's any reason to be uh, worried about them coming out of the spring game. I think the guys. What do you think of the offensive line? Yeah, that was the last thing I was going to say. Just kind of rounding it out, just with the offensive line. I mean, it's kind of it's hard to really stand out as an offensive line. I think if you don't get talked about a ton and you don't stand out, that's probably a good thing as an offensive line. But I thought they, you know, I thought they were good. Obviously, there's a a couple new guys out there, Um, but I I thought overall they looked pretty good. I didn't have any real complaints. There wasn't anything that really stood out to me in terms of offensive line play, which you know is better than I could say at times last year when the lack of run blocking did stand out. I thought the run blocking was good. We saw the running backs play well. So um, overall, I thought the the offensive line played well, and the offense as a whole didn't give me any reason to be super concerned heading into 2022, and the offensive line probably played a a good part in that. Yeah, I don't think that we're going to know a whole lot about this offensive line until we see it in game action against an opponent. At least it seems like they are very settled on their kind of starting unit, which is good. There's not going to be a ton of back and forth, probably not a whole lot of substitutions going forward, at least until the season starts. So that's always a good thing to have is sort of a set in stone lineup. I I thought everyone looked fine to your point. It's not like Jim Knowles was bringing these exotic blocks or or these blitzes or giving you a ton up front, nowhere near kind of the experimentation we're going to see in the future. But the only thing that, that stood out to me was, Paris Johnson Jr. got put in an absolute blender by Jack Sawyer. And I know we'll get to him. It was just once. And I think he may have had a hold or probably should have been called a hold another time against Sawyer. And you can look at that two ways. You can look at it and say, hey, he got beat and he's got some things to work on, which are entirely true. But he's going up against what we hope is a a heck of a DN or Jack, whatever you want to call him. So different ways to look at that dynamic, but I think everyone performed about as well as we expected. And I think that'll be a strength of the team. I really do. Now I'm a little concerned with the depth. I think that once the second and third units got in there, it got a little more sloppy. Uh, I think the offense, if you're keeping track, gave up like six official sacks, if I'm not mistaken. And a lot of that was with the the second and third unit guys in there, but Again, they're going up against what we hope is is a great defensive front, and we'll see what it really looks like six months from now, or I guess five months from now, when they're in game action against an opponent, getting to beat up on somebody and use all of their uh, their technique and their skill to protect C.J. Stroud. So, 
no concerns there. Just keep that unit together, keep them healthy, and I think Ohio State will benefit uh, because of it. Yeah, depth is a, definitely a bit of a concern there, but I think that's a good transition talking about Jack Sawyer and some of the, the things we saw from this Ohio State defense to transition to that side of the ball. Uh, like we've said, you know, hard to tell a ton because it was a very vanilla scheme. They weren't allowed to hit the quarterbacks. You didn't see any stunts or blitzes or anything crazy like that. We did get to see kind of the, the base defense in Jim Knowles' 4-2-5, which is different from the 4-2-5 Ohio State was running previously with the, the three safeties back there, uh, two corners, two two linebackers, and then the four up front uh, with, with Jack Sawyer playing, ironically, in the Jack role, uh, which may, may or may not eventually be called the Leo. It's the same position, just by a different name. But yeah, starting with the offense, the, the defensive line in the front, um, I thought, you know, it, what you wanted to see is what you saw. I thought Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimaloa both stood out. Um, I think Jack Sawyer playing the, the Jack role is interesting. We did see him drop back into coverage uh, a couple destiny, times. Man. Yeah, a, a couple times we saw him drop back into coverage. One of those is what led to the Jack Smith and Jigba touchdown early on. So it's, it's going to take a little bit for him to probably learn that role. He's not, he's more of an edge rusher. He hasn't played much linebacker, which is kind of what he's being asked to do as he's dropping back in that Jack role. But I am interested to see more of him in that role. I was very concerned outwardly this offseason, speaking of, of, of Jack Sawyer's size. Um, and it looks like he's still moving pretty well, to his credit. So I, I, he's put on the weight well. Um, I was worried he was going to be too big to, to keep up his speed in the position. But like you said, he he made a really good move on Paris Johnson Jr. in that game. Um, and he looked pretty. He looked good overall. I think Sawyer and Tumaloa both stood out on the ends. And when you have two five-stars out there, two, two guys who were freshmen last year, you're expecting to take a bit of a, a jump this year. Having them be the two guys to stand out on the defensive line is, is definitely encouraging. I hope that I'm not setting myself up for disappointment. But I think that Jack Sawyer and JTT are Ohio State's version of the Bash brothers. I think that they are are going to be a couple of just nightmares on the bookends. And and who knows? We, we didn't really see Zach Harrison and he could throw a, a wrench into those plans. But I think both of those guys looked great. You know, JTT was credited with two sacks. Jack Sawyer had one, should have had another. You're right. He dropped back a couple of times and the JSN touchdown was sort of in his neighborhood. Uh, I think we can both say that, but there was another time where he dropped out and kind of got the flat covered and forced CJ Stroud to just kind of, it was three, four yards over the middle for a minimal gain. So it seems like he's picking it up. And to your point, I think the athleticism is still there and hopefully he's not being asked to drop back a ton and cover guys like JSN, right? You know, we want him to presumably drop back and catch a flat or maybe pick up a tight end or something like that. But as a rusher, I think that he still has an all world ceiling. Same goes for JTT. So if you put those guys on, on either side, and then you've got sort of a trio of Zach Harrison Jr. And they rotate, I think the pass rush could be really good this year. We thought that was going to be the case last year. It didn't really come to fruition. I think that these two guys, now that they've got another year in the program, I mean, especially JTT, right? He missed the spring last year. This was this is his first like full-on offseason, if you want to call it that, with Ohio State, with Larry Johnson. So he's picking up more and more each day and each week. So he's only going to get better. And based on what we saw in a spring game, you know, they're, they're starting to reach that level that we expected from them. So those two guys looked great. Uh, I thought Tyleek Williams made a couple of plays, if I'm not mistaken, in the game. Teron Vincent had a nice blow up. 
And Noah Potter, who has been plagued by injuries, he had like the, the crazy, unfortunate eye situation last year. He was credited with two sacks. And I don't think either one of us has brought up his name, right? So it could be another position of depth. Uh, again, you don't want to read too much into the spring game, but a lot of guys, Javante John Baptiste, we didn't see him out there either. If they can at least come up with two dependable pass rushers, I think that's a huge improvement over last year. You know, who could they count on in 2021? We thought we could count on Zach Harrison. He didn't have a great year. I expect him to be better this year and hopefully in a different sort of role, he will perform up to his ability. But we could go from kind of like zero sack artist to one and a half, two sack artist, whatever however you want to define that, if you can get 20 sacks from your defensive end rotation, I think that's a hell of a start in creating pressure and getting to the quarterback much more so than we saw last year. Yeah, I was, I was going to say specifically, you know, based on what we saw last year, all the issues they had getting to the quarterback, uh, anything better than last year would certainly help, especially when you have a lot of young guys in the secondary. We have saw what you could, you know, when you, they don't have a guy, I don't, I'm not ready to call any of these guys Chase Young just yet, but when you see no. what you could do in the back end, when you have a guy like Chase Young, how much easier it makes it for you to, to go out there and coverage when the quarterback has so much less time. So getting a, a better pass rush this season is certainly going to be important. I think we're going to see a lot of interesting different blitzes and stunt packages with Jim Knowles back there calling the defense, so I think that'll help out in that regard as well. But yeah, so Aaron JT Tumaloa both looked really well. I thought even I, I even thought Tumaloa probably looked better of the two, and, and they're both really good, but fair. for a guy, like you said, coming into really his first full offseason with the program, I was really impressed with what he brought out there. And like you said, you know, uh, guys like Tyleek Williams were, were making good plays up the middle, so... I think we saw a lot of good out of Ohio State's defensive line in what was a very standard uh, play-calling afternoon. Uh, moving to the next level, the linebackers. Not a not a ton stood out for me here. Um, Tommy Eichenberg led the game in tackles, I believe, so we like to see that. You know, I know Josh, the big touchdown Tommy guy. Uh, I think he's going to be a very important linebacker for the season. I believe it'll be him and Steel Chambers as the two starters we see out there on game one. But, uh, you know, nothing really jumped out of me on the linebackers. I didn't think they played poorly. I didn't think they played spectacularly, but... You know, once again, after how bad we've seen them play the last couple of years, I think that's even that just just saying that is a, is a bit of an improvement from what we've seen. And I think that Jim Knowles will continue to get those guys in good shape. And since there's only going to be two on the field, maybe technically a third, if Jack Sawyer or someone else in the, the Leo Jack position is dropping back into coverage, you'll sometimes see three or maybe they'll have a true three out there on a team that runs the ball a bit more, especially in the Big Ten. But I thought the linebackers played OK. I didn't think there was anybody that really stood out. I didn't, you know, Tommy I can really like the game in sacks. I didn't notice him specifically a ton, but I think that not noticing the linebackers is a much bigger improvement from how much we've noticed them in the past years in, in not a good way. Uh, I'm officially changing his name to tackling Tommy Eichenberg. He was credited with 10, which led the team. And you're right, like he didn't have any blow up plays, but he was consistently involved. And I think that, you know, with Jim Knowles being a linebacker guy, he is going to know how to properly use all of these players. And I think that Tommy is, you know, I, I don't think there's any, even any argument. He is your starting Mike. He's your guy who's going to sort of be the coach out there, get guys organized along with some of the DBs in the back end, especially with their experience. But I, I just think that Tommy's going to be steady and we need that from this linebacker group. He may not be the most athletic guy in the world. He may not be, 
great with the blitz, like a, like a Micah McFadden for Indiana last year who racked up a number of sacks and blitz pretty frequently. Tommy Eichenberg is just going to be your steady presence in the middle. And Jim Knowles should be able to play to his strengths and minimize any weaknesses that he has. We, we saw him struggle occasionally in pass coverage last year. Some of that was due to inexperience. And some of that is just due to the fact that he may not be an athletic, you know, freak quote unquote, like uh, a CJ Hicks coming up or even a steel chambers who was a running back converted over. He's just going to be that guy in the middle who knows where to be and when to be there. So he should be a studying presence. I think that I wouldn't be shocked if he somehow led the team in tackles there in the middle of the field. And you know what you're getting with him. I think you know what you're getting with Steel Chambers too. He's a little more athletic. I would. I think that's fair to say. And he may be more of your, call him a rover. Like that's what I would call him. He's a little more all over the field. He looked fine out there. So to your point, we're probably only going to see two traditional linebackers out there most of the time. And if they can settle on that top two and work some other guys in great. If I'm not mistaken, Taraja Mitchell was out there and made a couple plays. I, it was number three, uh, had a, a TFL and then a nice play out in the flat on a running back. I think it was Taraja Mitchell. So if he can somehow get involved, he's been with the program for a long time and he's never been, I would say set up for that much success with a guy like Knowles coming in, maybe he gets the most out of him. And then you bring some of your other younger guys along Cody Simon, still TBD. He's another more athletic guy. So we saw the struggles last year. We, we think inherently it will be better because of the coaching, but they're also, they're, they're learning. They're, they're getting better. They're improving. So just that natural occurrence will, will help them in the middle of the field as well. Yeah, I think starting with just being in the right position is going to be a, a big step up from what we've seen <laughs> yeah. the past few years. So anything we get on top of that is, is definitely a bonus. But then, you know, moving on to the back end of the defense, I thought the secondary actually played really, really well. Um, I think we saw some some young guys really step up in the back end, specifically someone like Akai Stokes playing in that adjuster safety role behind Ronnie Hickman. Uh, he finished second on the team with nine tackles. He had two pass breakups, one where he nearly he looked like Billy Cooker out there, which I know is near and dear to your heart. Yeah, I didn't want to say it, but he he was looking like that kind of ball hawk and safety out there. He looked really, really good. A guy that was kind of a forgotten name in this last recruiting class, but he was the first of these early enrollees in this year to lose his black stripe, and he's been you know he's been drawing rave reviews in practice, and he really showed out in the spring game. I was really impressed with what I saw from Kai Stokes. I was also happy to see Josh Proctor out there getting some reps coming off that injury. So you know, first time we've seen three safeties on the field for Ohio State. I still think the starters are probably going to wind up being. Uh, uh, Josh Proctor, Ronnie Hickman, and Tanner McAllister. But, you know, if Kai Stokes continues to play in practice like he played in that game, and if he if he brings that to real game environments, I would not be entirely surprised to see him crack one of those starting spots, uh, if not, you know, by the middle of the year, then later in the season, because he looked really, really good out there as sort of that ball-hawking safety. And, yeah, yeah, like, you know, Ohio State's had some really good guys who just kind of have it in the backfield in different ways. And, you know, Malik Hooker was that ball-hawking kind of guy, whereas Jordan Fuller was that eraser reliable back end of the defense. Both of those guys had that it factor, but in different ways. And I think Kai Stokes might have that it factor in more of the Malik Hooker like vein. And I'm not ready to say he's going to be the next Malik Hooker, but he looked like a ball hawking safety out there. And I was very impressed with his, his play. And he was probably one of the guys that stood out the most to me in the entire spring game. I see where you're going with that. And I kind of threw it out there first, that Malik Hooker comp, although I know you were thinking it 
there are some similarities in their game. And you look at a guy like Josh Proctor, he brings a different sort of physicality. But when you compare him to a Jordan Fuller, Jordan Fuller was another guy who knew where to be and when to be there. And with Josh Proctor's experience and, you know, he was the the leader or should have been the leader of that secondary last year, him coming back. I don't think that he'll miss a beat as long as he's healthy. So maybe he could play sort of that Jordan Fuller role in the sense that he can put himself in the right position, coach up some other guys, point them in the right direction. So I, I do see some comps there and you've got this different, this other variable that's Tanner McAllister playing sort of this new position. He's got all the experience in the world. He's played in this defense before. So you could be looking at a situation where guys just, you know, they're better because they're smarter. And I I don't want that to be a knock on anybody. I really don't. You and I have both sort of railed against a guy like Bryson Shaw in the past, who's no longer with the program. He, He was a train wreck at times. Let's just, call it what it is. And some of that could have been his own deficiencies and some of that could have been coaching, but you're getting these guys now with greater experience. And I didn't even mention Ronnie Hickman who led the team in tackles last year. If they can just control things and patrol things over the top and you let Jim Knowles get creative and do his sort of wild stuff up front and you let these defensive ends eat and you, you see what you've got at linebacker, the defensive secondary is your last line of defense. Like that's just, that's true. Right. And so if they can keep things in front of them and occasionally make some plays, I think that Ohio state can a create more turnovers and B limit some of those big plays. And I think that's what you're going to see with the three safeties out there. And at the cornerback position, Denzel Burke, was Denzel Burke. I don't know that he was tested a ton out there, but we know that he's an all big 10 type of cornerback. We didn't get to see Cam Brown, but I'm going to beat you to it. Jordan Hancock played really well. And he's a guy that I would not be the least bit surprised if he takes over that number two corner role, because we know his pedigree. He was a freshman last year. Didn't really get any reps or experience. He looked really good in the spring game. He had two pass breakups. He had a nice tackle for loss. And he's got everything you're looking for from a cornerback. And so if Cam Brown's sort of working his way back from injury, I I don't want to say that he's going to be Wally Pipped, but Jordan Hancock's probably that next guy coming up. And if he can continue the momentum and continue to sort of perform the way that he did in the spring game, then you're talking about an entire secondary that has improved from last year. Yeah, I had I had Jordan Hancock written down as well. He had he was credited with a pair of pass breakups. I thought he looked very good in coverage. And I, I'm just excited for what this Ohio State secondary could do. You know, between Tim Walton and Perry Aliano back there coaching them with with hopefully a better defensive front and some different blitz packages, I think that Ohio State could do a much better job in the past defense game. And, you know, I, I think that we saw a lot of young guys kind of start to make a name for themselves in this game. And, you know, we keep saying we don't want to overreact too much to a glorified scrimmage, but it's good to see these guys kind of going out there making plays against, you know, fellow, you know, Ohio State starters were out there for most of the game. You know, they had a lot of guys that are going to play this season. So having them go out there and make plays against those type of players and, and the same type of, you know, probably better players than they'll see a lot on a lot of other teams, uh, Ohio State's sure. backups. So, like, you know, it, it was very encouraging to see 
But yeah, guys like Kai Stokes, Jordan Hancock, I thought really stood out in that secondary. And I'm excited to see what, you know, someone like Jim Knowles can do with with a three safety look with the different roles for those guys are going to fully be different, different packages they're going to throw out there. And then who else, like you said, you know, Denzel Burke is is penciled in as as your number one corner, but I wouldn't be surprised if a guy like Jordan Hancock takes over that number two role. And if he doesn't, I'm sure they're going to rotate a bunch and he will play a lot, him and Jacalyn Johnson. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about this Ohio State secondary and I can't, Say I've said that a lot in the past couple of years because there hasn't been a, a ton to be uh, excited about, I think. But I think between the talent they have and the coaching they have out there, I can't imagine that their safety isn't significantly better. Their secondary isn't significantly better than it was last season. Yeah, I don't want to go like too much in a different direction, but I, I just go back to the coaching. You know, you've got the Jim Knowles element who is a tried and tested defensive coordinator uh, who has done great things in multiple programs. And then we still don't know what they're going to do on a recruiting level. But if you just look at them as position coaches, I think that I think I didn't give enough credit to the additions of Tim Walton and Perry Eliano. You look at the coaching staff we had last year and it was not to this level. You know, Tim Walton has decades of experience coaching corners. He gets to focus on this one thing and he'll work with Perry Eliano and Jim Knowles, but he gets to focus on this one position that he has playing experience at coaching experience at NFL experience at all across the board. And then you've got Perry Eliano coaching the safeties. He has been a safety guy, but also just finished up, you know, coaching sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant at Cincinnati. Like, these guys know what they're doing. And I don't know that we could say that as much in years past. Now, when Kerry Combs was just coaching DBs, entirely different story. And I don't want to knock him. I love Kerry Combs and what he did here at Ohio State. But when you took him out of that role, made him the defensive coordinator, he's trying to do a lot of different things, game plan for the defense and see it all from this thousand foot view. And it just didn't work out. We're kind of getting that Kerry Combs back in Tim Walton in a sense, if you look at it that way. So hopefully we get back to that level that we're used to seeing. And then the Perry Eliano element is just new and he's proven himself to be a good coach too. So I don't think that the coaching can be underestimated, even though I probably did that in the very beginning when some of these hires were announced, you're just getting guys with experience and guys who know what to do and what to look for back there and how to develop players. So I think that's going to be of great benefit to this defense and Ohio State as a whole. Yeah, overall, you know, just parting thoughts from the spring game. I think we're starting to see it all sort of come together for Ohio State, and we'll see how it plays out going into the regular season. But I think we saw there was a lot to like uh, on that game on Saturday. Uh, You know, my last thing I had written down here was it was good to see you know, walk-ons like Xavier Johnson and Cam Kittle both make good plays on their respective Xavier sides Johnson of the ball. Xavier Johnson was nice. Yeah, Xavier Johnson looked really good in the passing game, even though he's listed as a running back. And then Cam Kittle had the lone interception in the game. So two walk-ons kind of getting a chance to make big plays in front of a crowd in Ohio Stadium. I thought that was really nice to see. But other than that, I think, you know, the, just the game as a whole, um, it was it was fun. It was a good, a good afternoon to see some Ohio State football back in our lives. And I, I think that people should be generally encouraged by what they saw and like the direction that the program is heading. And hopefully that it all comes together fully by the time the season comes around. They're not going to have a break to start the year. They start off right up against Notre Dame. So a tough test right out of the gate. But I liked what I saw out there. And I'm uh, I'm excited for the season to get going, even though it's it's quite a ways away still. Now, now I need a summer game. We had a spring game. Now I need a summer game. I need something to just tide me over. But you're right. Good start. 
Uh, we've heard good things out of the spring practices. Both Ryan Day and Jim Knowles have talked to the defense, uh, talked about the defense, just their learning curve. Jim Knowles is impressed and he's very happy, it seems like, with the progress of his unit. And we know what Ryan Day is cooking up on the offensive side of the ball. So you get those two minds together, uh, but separate them out at the same time. And it seems like everything is trending in the right direction. And yeah, we, we've got months until we see it really in action, but I'm excited for what we're eventually going to see uh, that first week against Notre Dame. Yeah, and, and before we get out of here, we do have some uh, recruiting stuffs to talk about on the football side of things. Um, I know Matt and Caleb did more of an in-depth view of Ohio State recruiting uh, earlier this week, so I'd definitely go and check that out if you're interested. But there have been three Ohio State commitments since we last spoke, uh, the first of which was last week in running back Mark Fletcher. He is the number eight running back in the class, the number 154 player overall in 2023. Listed as six foot one, 225 pounds. He had a huge sophomore season. Uh, he led American Heritage to the Class 5A championship down in Florida. He is high school teammates with five-star wide receiver Brandon Innes, who Ohio State is in on. And this this is, you know, this is a pretty big get. Ohio State's looking to get two running backs in this class. Mark Fletcher is the first, and he looks like he's going to be, you know, he, everybody's spoken very highly of him. He looks like he's a really good player. Um, maybe not a guy that we talked about a ton until the last couple of weeks, but, you know, it seems like Ohio State's doing a pretty good job in the state of Florida, and Mark Fletcher is the latest on that list. He's a good get, e- even if he's the top-rated running back. And a guy like, uh, oh gosh, he's he's escaping me right now. He the. Uh, the number one running Richard Young. I'm sorry. Goodness. That was great podcasting. Um, we know that Ohio state's after him and he's sort of the, the, what, who everyone is after, right? All the biggest programs, you got your Alabama, your Georgia, this, that, and the other, you'd love to go out and bring him in, but Mark Fletcher should not be slept on. He's a different sort of back compared to what we're used to seeing. He's, he's quite a bit bigger than a Travion Henderson, or somebody like that, but you read the scouting reports and super successful as a sophomore, banged up a little bit as a junior, but 6'1", 225, he's he's kind of that Mayan Williams, but he's got three or four inches on him. And I I saw one comp to Derrick Henry, that's not fair. But if you're looking for a between the tackles guy, I think he's a good start and I think his athleticism has probably slept on a little bit. He's got good speed. He can make some plays on the outside. Not much of a pass catcher, but who knows how much he's asked to do that down there in Florida. He's a really, really good get, even if he's the top guy that they eventually bring in. But we know there's a lot still to be determined there. It's good to get a stud in the room, right? To get one in there and then see how else you can fill out that running back room. I'm excited for his addition. He seems really excited to make that commitment to Ohio State. And I'm interested to see what a guy like that can do in, in the scarlet and gray. Again, I mentioned his size, 6'1", 225. We haven't had a lot of guys like that at Ohio State recently that I can think of or that have been um, the go-to guy. So excited for him, for sure. Yeah, and I don't think, you know, I feel like a lot of people are kind of just writing in Richard Young as part of this Ohio State class, and I don't think it's anywhere near Stetton Stone. You know, he's a five-star running back, the number one in the class. I don't think Ohio State is even currently the favorite to land him. So getting a guy like Mark Fletcher in the class early, a guy who, like you said, even if he is their top running back in this class, you certainly wouldn't be disappointed with. Um, It's definitely a good get early on. Tony Alford continues to do a good job recruiting the running backs. 
Uh, the other guy on the offensive side of the ball, Ohio State's brought in in the last week or so, this one on Sunday, was wide receiver Bryson Rogers. And this one was a, a, a definitely more of a surprise, not a name we've heard a ton in regards to Ohio State. He comes in as the number 47 wide receiver in the class, number 364 overall in 2023. Listed at 6'2", 170 pounds. Um, despite you know perhaps a lower rating than what we're used to seeing from Ohio State's wide receivers, especially under Brian Hartline, he does have offers from all the big names he was choosing between you know Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. So it's not like this was some guy that Ohio State just like took because they wanted him. He this was a guy that a lot of big schools were after. He is listed as a four star on some recruiting sites. Um, he is officially another Florida commit. He was. Uh, crystal ball to the Gators, but he did grow up in Warren, Ohio. He's originally from Ohio. He grew up an Ohio State fan, so not totally a surprise that he would wind up choosing the Buckeyes in the end, but uh, on paper, it is another get for the Buckeyes in the state of Florida, even though he is at heart an Ohio guy. And when it comes to Brian Hartline, I think that he is one of, if not the most trustworthy coaches when it comes to recruiting in the entire country, right? So if he identified the talent that he thinks Rogers has and identified him as a target, I'm on board. And I look at his recruiting profile right now and you don't want to put too much on somebody, but he seems like a guy who could really improve that ranking with another year of high school football. And even if he doesn't, you look at a guy like Chris Olave. Chris Olave was not a five-star wide receiver when he came to Ohio State. He worked on his craft. He improved his game, and he set all sorts of records. You look at another guy like Jackson Smith and Jigba. Going into his senior season, Jackson Smith and Jigba was not a top five, top ten, whatever wide receiver. He was much lower in the rankings, and he shot up with a great senior season in Texas. So, there's still another year for these guys. And when I look at a guy like Bryson Rogers, I mean, he's 6'2", 190. Uh, he's got a couple inches on Garrett Wilson, but he, I don't know, I, I saw some similarities there, I guess, in you know their games and their, their body makeup. He has said that he's comfortable playing inside or out, which is great for Ohio State and their offense. They want guys who are flexible and can do some different things. So... I've got a lot of hope for this guy because, like I said, if Brian Hartline goes out and he he targets this guy and you give him another year to work on his craft at the high school level, he could be a top 5, 10, 15 wide receiver this time next year. So, you know, for everyone kind of looking at just the rankings, throw that out the window and, and think about who's going after him, who has identified him as a talent and what we currently have in the room. Ohio State only wants the best of the best, and they rarely settle. So my stamp of approval is fully on Bryson Rogers, and I expect him to you know, hopefully improve and come in here ready to rock and roll. And hell, you can even compare him to Kai Stokes. Kai Stokes was not a super high recruit, and he came in, and he's doing some great things at Ohio State. So um, good to see him get in, get involved. And we know that they're going to go after three or four wide receivers as is. So they've got one locked up and we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah. Like you said, if there's anyone I'm going to trust on this staff to evaluate talent, it's going to be Brian Harline, especially if he's taking this guy this early in the class. You know, we saw something similar last year with Kion Gray's when they, when they, when Gray's mm-hmm. committed to Ohio state, he was only a three-star recruit. And by the end of his, his commit, uh, like by the end of his recruiting cycle, he was a four-star guy. He's one of the better wide receivers in the class. And so if this is a guy that Hartline is targeting early is a guy that doesn't have a ton of hype, then I'm sure you'll see by the end of this, this recruiting cycle that his rankings will go up as time goes. I don't think, you know, if Brian Hartline is going to bring a guy 
in here that he wants to compete with all these four and five stars. I don't think he's going to take a, a three star this early on in the class who he doesn't think could at least compete and make a difference on this Ohio State roster. So like you said, I am I'm on board. Bryson Rogers, I'm sure, will be a great player, and I'm looking forward to see what he brings to Columbus. Uh, the final player on the list in these trio of commitments in the last week or so on the other side of the ball this time is cornerback Dijon Johnson, the number 29 corner, number 270 overall player, listed at six foot one, 190. If you had to guess which state he was from, I'd give you a hint. It's pretty similar to the last two. He is a Tampa, Florida native. He's actually seven on seven teammates with Rogers. He becomes the fourth Florida commit in the 2023 class for Ohio State, uh, committed just a day after visiting for the spring game, so it must have been a pretty darn good visit. Um, and he, he's got good high school numbers. He picked off six passes with 10 pass breakups in 10 games at Wharton High School this past season. He had four pick sixes, so he's an athletic guy, good coverage corner. And, uh, yeah, another guy to add to the fold, one of the first corners for Ohio State in this class, and we'll see if that gets things going. I, I you know, Ohio State's getting these commitments in bunches. They've had a couple of really good recruiting weekends between the spring game, the, the student appreciation practice, and all this stuff. So as we get into the summer months, I'm sure they'll have more different events and, and stuff like this, but you like to see the 2023 momentum kind of getting off to a roll. I believe these three commitments put Ohio State up to number two in the total class ranking, so all good things going on for Ohio State recruiting with the additions of Fletcher, Rogers, and Johnson. Yeah, with the addition of Johnson, first corner in the class, third player in the secondary. So they're starting to build out that room. I, I like the sort of players that they've gone after so far. Cedric Hawkins was the same way. Dijon Johnson, like they're playmakers. They create turnovers. Dijon Johnson had the four pick sixes. And then you've got, uh, you know, the safety Malik Hartford, who is, you know, six three. So they're getting some bigger, nicer athletes there in the secondary. Dijon Johnson, um, you know, Six foot one ninety. He's got the requisite size, and I, I look at all of these guys in totality, and it's like they're early commits. There's a lot still to be sorted out, but if Ohio State has gone after them early, which yeah, you sort of have to do, but they've clearly identified the talent and the type of player that they're going after. And so I look at the number 29 positional ranking. Again, that's another thing I throw out the window. I look at the other schools that are recruiting them. Dijon Johnson has been courted by Oklahoma, USC, Alabama, things like that. So, yeah, for all intents and purposes, another good get. Ohio State is strengthening their sort of presence in Florida with this addition. He's a four or five guy. So, again, building out that secondary, we know that there's going to be attrition and depth that needs to be replaced. So to have these guys in the fold early is a really good thing. They can help recruit others, especially in the state of Florida with these last two, um, last three, really. So to your point, all good things. This is good momentum. The number two class ranking doesn't mean a whole lot to me right now, but you, you'd rather be two than 20. Right. So you're off to a heck of a start and you've got a big class to continue to build. And now you've got some, some in recruiters ready to help do that for you. Yeah, and especially in the state of Florida where you have, you know, a school like the Gators who are with a new head coach, the Hurricanes with a new head coach, both of them, you know, probably are going to be decent, but it is their first year in the program, probably have to prove it a little bit. Um, I'm not totally convinced with, with Gus Malzahn at UCF. Uh, Florida State's been trending downwards for a couple of years. So Ohio State kind of taking advantage of some of these bigger programs in the state of Florida kind of being either down or, or introducing a new head coach. So they're going look at in the there. big dogs, Gene. I mean, the, the top of the list right now, Cormani McLean, Florida. Uh, Francis Magoya, I think. Um, hope I pronounced that right. He's not super high on the list. There's no crystal balls for him, but he's out of IMG, offensive lineman out of Florida. Brandon Innes, 
Florida, Richard Young, Florida, Carnell Tate, Florida. I could go on and on down the line. It's groupthink, and these guys all know each other. And so if they can establish some sort of relationship and sway one or two guys and vouch for Ohio State, then that's only going to help them. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, you know, guys, especially guys like Ennis and Tate, who Ohio State are going really hard after it. They're, they're taking advantage of, of a, a fertile recruiting ground in Florida this year, especially in this cycle. And, and they're doing a pretty good job early on. So we'll hope that leads to more good things down the road. But I think that's pretty much it for us in this past week. I think next week is going to be a fun one with the NFL draft coming up next week. It's already here. I'm sure we'll have a ton to talk about with draft preview stuff for all of the Ohio State players entering the NFL. Um, and ever fun stuff like that. Josh, you have any other parting thoughts in either spring game or recruiting stuff before we head out of here? No, Gene, I'm ready for next week. I'm a huge draft junkie. I'm going to be fully engulfed in that. And I know we'll probably do some predictions and things of that nature. Uh, excited to see where Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave go in the first round and some of these other guys later. So um, that, that should be a good one, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm excited. So... We're going to get out of here. Be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff you do with all your podcasts. Be sure to check out all of our written content over at landgrantholyland.com. And for Gene Ross, for Gene Ross, I'm Josh Julie. That's not how this works. For Josh Julie, <laughs> I am Gene Ross, and we will see you guys next week. And as always, go Bucks.